This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Well, we're going to talk tonight about something I have close on my heart. I've been studying the book of Nehemiah, and uh, God really spoke to me about uh, what to speak tonight. And so I'm going to ask you to bear with me. I'm going to try to get this done. We're a little bit behind schedule, but I promise that we're going to get you out here before 9 o'clock, okay? Hallelujah. Well, that's kind of where we're at. We're at 7.45, 7.50 right now, so I'm going to need time to preach and then a little bit of time for God to minister to you. So uh, tonight, the title of my message is, of course, New Horizons, but I call it Angels and Adversaries. Angels and adversaries. Now, earlier this year, God spoke to me to focus my attention on six key areas of his provision in the Word of God. It actually started out with five areas, and then as I came into the revelation of prayer, he gave me a sixth. And those six areas are the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the armor of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, and then our position in the courtroom of heaven and angelic operations. And, and I want you to know, as pastors, if you'll preach around these things, if you'll teach your people how to be strong in the blood of Jesus, they understand that the blood of Jesus works for them, and how to use the name of Jesus, and how to take the armor of God, and know the person of the Holy Spirit, and find your position when you pray in the courtrooms of heaven. Plead your case before God. There's victories to be won in prayer. And then tonight I want to talk to you about angelic operations, angels. You know, we want to continue uh, in our discovery of how the Holy Spirit is working through the example that we've received in the book of Nehemiah. How he's working in our lives to restore the gates that have been burned and the walls that have been torn down by our enemies. Tonight we're going to look at the Holy Spirit's role in helping us with our enemies Angels and adversaries. Now, we can all point to times in our lives when something unexplainable suddenly happens. Like an imminent disaster being averted or some kind of remarkable deliverance that takes place in our lives. I can tell you many stories where God, I know God protected me. And sometimes we're convinced that this has to be the work of angels. I know angels have protected me. Some of the most phenomenal stories I've ever heard in my life have to do with the activity of angels. I'm shocked at how many people today believe that evil spirits can move and operate in their lives through curses, through witch doctors, through various evil entities. Yet when it comes to the operation of angels, so many people today are often considered that people that believe in angels to be fanatical or that, well, you know, things like that don't occur anymore. Tonight I want to tell you that the Word of God is clear about the subject of angels. And I ask him to open our eyes tonight to see how the Holy Spirit uses the angelic and how angels are, and how, and how the Holy Spirit himself works in our lives. You see, Jesus, when he's hanging on the cross, he said he could have summoned a host of angels to rescue him. In Matthew 26, 53. The angels that he was talking about are not 
playful little cherubs, little dolls. Nor are they sentimentalized chariot attendants that somehow arrive at our death and, you know, carry us over to the other side. Swing low, sweet chariot. Oh, that's, that's uh, well, no, maybe that is the death knell for a certain team. Uh, <clears throat> you'll know what I'm talking about sometime. Okay. But he's talking about spiritual beings who are as real as the seats that you're sitting in tonight. These beings are real. There are many references to angels in the Old and the New Testaments. In fact, more than 100 in all. Even though the Bible has much to say about angels and much to say about their role towards us, there's been very little teaching in the body of Christ about them. In fact, many people relegated somehow angels to some kind of superstitious and antiquated belief system of the medieval age. It's like, well, that's how they explained what we now call psychology. You know. And yet you'll believe in paranormal stuff, but you won't believe in angels. Many people have disregarded what the Word of God has to say on the subject. On the other side of the coin, we have people that have become angel chasers. Everything's an angel. They see angels everywhere. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, and here's what he said in Colossians 2, 18. He says, let no one cheat you, or let no one defraud you. That should be a, a scripture on the screen. Let no one cheat you. Let no one defraud you of your reward taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. His warning is not to become preoccupied with the subject of angels, and it's a sound warning. But it was not intended for us to, to remove us from an understanding of their activities. God wants us to understand how angels operate. Angels are not just winged wonders that flit about the atmosphere. They have a purpose. In fact, the Bible says that they're ministering spirits, that they have been appointed to explicit tasks. They've been assigned to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Hebrews 1.14 says, are they, that is angels, not ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those that will inherit salvation? And the answer, of course, in that rhetorical question is yes. Who's going to inherit salvation? Who is it that inherits salvation? Well, the Bible makes it clear who those people are. The redeemed in Christ. Heirs of salvation. We're the heirs. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, we are. goes on and says, but at the end it says, we are heirs and joint heirs of God. Co-heirs with Christ. Ephesians 1.11 says, in him, that is Christ, also we've obtained an inheritance. You have an inheritance. Well, remember the account of Peter when he was being freed from prison in Acts chapter 12? He was chained in an inner chamber between two guards. But an angel came, released him. This guard slept and he went through three or four doors and he thought he was in a dream, but it was an angel. Do you remember when Philip was 
sent to Samaria to meet a man in need? It was an angel that told him to do that. An angel tapped him on the shoulder and says, hey, join yourself to that man's chariot. Do you remember when Herod, after he had killed James, became so arrogant that he arrogated authority to himself? And then he suddenly dropped dead under divine judgment. It was an angel that struck him down. In Acts chapter 27, Paul's on a ship bound to Rome. We heard about it today in the offering. And as he's going on this ship, the the ship is caught in a huge tempest, a storm. But Paul comes and he speaks to the captain of the ship and he speaks to everybody on board. He says, don't fear, don't panic, for an angel has spoken to me tonight. There's an angel that spoke to me. An angel delivered him a message. You see, there are clear New Testament cases of angelic agents assisting people in the kingdom of God with deliverance, with guidance, with comfort, and with judgment. One of the first messages I ever heard when I was in Bible school was on precatory judgment. That's not the best message to hear the first day in Bible school. I was so scared, precatory judgment. And that's when angels strike people dead or do, I mean, men of God speaking, these things happen. And that still happens today. Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Now, you might say, yeah, 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 but those amazing and remarkable things, they don't happen to people today. But just think about it. Just think about your life. Even if you've not had a first-hand encounter with an angel or you don't even happen to know somebody that has, the Word of God makes declaration about these angels. In Psalm 91, he says, for he, the Lord, has shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. The Bible talks about angels. I think that's pretty amazing, don't you? Most of us can only see into the, visible, only see into the invisible realm with great difficulty. But there's more activity than you might suppose. We see a story in the book of Kings, chapter 6. It's a marvelous story of what happens with angels. It's a time during the life of Elisha. And the king of Syria has sent a large military contingent of horses and chariots, a great army, to seek him, to find him. It's kind of weird because the king says, who's revealing my secrets? And he thinks it's one of his guys. And he says, no, there's a prophet that knows what you speak in your bedchamber. Hallelujah. And Elisha's servant saw the enemy surrounding them, and he cries out. He says, alas, master, alas, what shall we do? And look at Elisha's calm response. In 2 Kings 6.16, he says, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who be with them. I love this story. This wise old prophet, this old man, Elisha, not only knew that he had divine protection, 
but he could also see it. He saw that he was protected. And when his, respond, his servant responds saying, oh, I don't see any troops on our side. Listen to what Elisha says in the 17th verse. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And God opened the eyes of his servant to see the mountains around about were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Wow, wow. See, some of you may not see. You may be like that servant. Oh, I don't see. Or, I've never seen an angel. You know, we had a lady in the church and she came. And, uh, we've had a few people say, I saw an angel when you were preaching. Another one said, I saw an angel on either side of you. One time when Pastor Bonnie was ministering, somebody saw, they said they saw an angel who all they could see was his legs because his head and his body and everything went through the roof. Now, I don't know. I've never seen one of those. I don't know how big angels get. I don't, know how, I don't know what size they get to be. And I'll be honest with you. The only angel I've ever met was Dr. Reed. <laughs> when I met him and, and the, what, the work he does with our champions, I'm sure he's an angel. Dr. Reed, don't, don't hang your head like that. We know, we know. The Bible says beware lest you entertain... Treat all strangers the same. You might be entertaining an angel unawares. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, this promise is yours as well. You see, God provides accompanying care as well as the protective, the liberating, and the ministering work of angels in our lives. He has sent forth angels to minister on our behalf. Does that make sense? Well, the captains of the army and the horsemen that accompanied Nehemiah beautifully parallel the ministry of angels in the life of the believer. We see in Nehemiah 2 and verse 9 that the king had sent captains of the army with horsemen with me. That's what Nehemiah said. Well, when you take this story, and I've been depicting it as Nehemiah is the Holy Spirit. And Nehemiah is going to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which is the walls of your life and my life, or the walls of our churches, or the walls of our marriages, or the walls of our families, or the walls of our nation. Whatever he's doing, he doesn't leave us comfortless. He doesn't leave us powerless. The Holy Spirit himself is accompanied by angels. See, angels have been assigned to you and I as the soldiers were assigned to Nehemiah. There was a senior statesman who was quoting the verses 11 and 12 of Psalm 91. And he says, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. And in their hands they will bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And what he said was that since the word angels is in the plural, he says there's got to be at least more than one angel for each of us. I like that. I said, yeah, I'll take that. And it might be true. You know, the Bible says that only a third of the angels fell. So if there's one demon for each of you or one fallen angel for each of you, guess what? There might be two godly angels to fight on your behalf. All I know is that we outnumber the enemy at least two to one. Amen? Hallelujah. But like Nehemiah, we're like him. And he came from the king. Now listen to how he came. He came with appropriate letters of authority and permission to undertake the rebuilding process. 
But those alone could not guarantee that he would be able to make the trip safely or stay long enough under hostile circumstances to complete the tasks. Success of the wall building or wall rebuilding project was far from a given. Nehemiah would face serious opposition. You see, he needed assigned angels, in his case, mounted troops, to assist him. Their job, like the angel's job for us, is to defend and protect and to provisionally alter circumstances through their intervention that make things turn out all right. We heard testimonies all day today, and I, if you weren't here, we heard testimonies of how we were going to lose a piece of land, and something changed. I, I don't know what changed, but I can tell you, I believe in the intervention of angels. I believe in that. I believe that angels work on our behalf, and I'm very cognitive and very aware of the fact that there's something peculiar in the atmosphere when angels are present. Does that make sense? We've been given angelic personnel to serve as a vanguard, a bodyguard, and a rear guard. Let your heart be encouraged. Be encouraged tonight. Don't be discouraged. You're not alone. You're not alone. You see, the contingent of horsemen that were given to Nehemiah, these uh, were given by the king, and they would help him along the way. Think about it. He had to traverse thousands and thousands of miles. He had to go through 127 provinces of the Persian Empire. Not all of them, but he had to go through many of them, which stretched across his route. The road was not secure, but it was teeming with outlaws, rebel gangs, uprisings. You know, this is really a parallel. It's a picture of the opposing forces of the adversary that are stationed across your pathway, the pathway of your life and my life. Concerted defense was going to be needed by Nehemiah. And I want you to know something. It's going to be needed by you and me too. We need the defense that God provides us through angelic beings. Nehemiah faced outlaws, wild beasts, natural hazards. In essence, so do we. So do we. You know, I've had people say to me, why would you live in Africa? It's dangerous over there. I say, why would you live in Detroit? It's dangerous over there. See, I would never fear where God sends you because he sends you with angelic cover. He sends you with angelic cover. So just as these, these armed troops accompanied Nehemiah from the palace in Susa and uh, God is doing the same thing with his Holy Spirit upon the church. He has bequeathed provisionary troops, angels, if you will, a host of the Lord, the band of angels, to assist us when any need arises. Now, 
we're not supposed to seek out angels. We're not supposed to worship them. We're not even to command angels. I see people say, I command the angels. No, we're to acknowledge them. We're to respect them. They carry a different authority, a different realm. One day we will judge angels, the Bible says. But they're not at our beck and call. These are the Holy Spirit's troops. And they're sent by the hand of our king to do and to be ministering spirits for the heirs of salvation. I believe that they do hearken unto the prayers that you pray. I do believe that they hearken unto the words you speak in the, the atmosphere. That's why your prayers and your words are so powerful. But it's also important that we have an awareness of the hostile forces that we're facing in the world today. Many people don't want to really face that there is an enemy. In fact, some of us have so discounted who the enemy is. Thank God for Pastor Bonnie today. She exposed, she tore the cover off of some of the things that are going on that are supposedly hidden, but now they're being done in plain sight. These are the workings of the enemy. There are powers of darkness who seek to oppose you and I, who seek to oppose the work of the gospel, who seek to oppose the church. Satan forces, Satan's forces are bent on interfering with God and what he wants to do in our lives. They sure don't want you to accomplish God's destiny for your life. I can tell you that right now. The dark powers that are aligned against us appear in stark contrast to the angelic host that God has given for his purposes. These are opposing forces. It is light and it is darkness. In fact, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. That is nothing to be trifled with. We have an enemy. Now, who are these fallen ones? I don't want to give too much credit to the devil. My mentor, Dr. Lester Summerall, told me, I don't even want to talk about the devil. One night the devil appeared to him in his room. He was sleeping and he felt this cold chill go up his back. And he rolled over and he saw the devil standing in the doorway. You know what his response was? He says, oh, it's just you. <laughs> he had such a revelation of Jesus that he didn't fear the devil himself. Both the prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel speak about the fall of Lucifer. You can look that up sometime, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. But uh, he uses the configuration of the prince of Tyre. And Satan is identified as a sinister being, a destructive a creature in every design, hideously hateful. I want you to know, he hates you. He hates anything that God has ever done. And he's opposed to all of God's purposes and all of God's desires and all of God's creation. In Genesis, he's introduced as the serpent in the Garden of Eden. At the same time, in the book of Revelation, he's also called the dragon. So, he's referred to primarily as Satan. And that word Satan means accuser, adversary. He's also called the devil, which means the slanderer. So his job, and you can always tell when he's working, because he slanders, he accuses, 
You can almost hear the hiss of the serpent in the accuser, the slanderer, and the adversary. <laughs> you see, the Bible reveals that Satan... <laughs> See, some of, some of you are going to go home and start talking like something happened tonight. <laughs> See, now, no more seeing around here, okay? The Bible reveals to us that Satan was a spirit, a spirit being, an angel who had originally been created in beauty, in perfection, by the hand and breath of God. But he rebelled against God. He rebelled against the Most High. And as a created being, he is finite in his capabilities. You know, I'm shocked at how many Christians actually believe that God and the devil are fighting, that the devil and God are equal. Let me explain something to you. God is God, folks. There is no other. The devil, and God is, God is God. But the devil is this created being down here. He's, a, he's, he's, a, he's way away from God. He's just a created being. He's created by God. He's not fighting God. He's, he's, God's not the devil's enemy. The devil hates God because of his own rebellion. But if you want to make a comparison, take Lucifer, take the devil, and Michael, the archangel. Now, they're warring spirits, but the devil and God, the devil is nothing compared to God. Nothing compared to God. And the devil's finite. God is infinite. Now, he does transcend the power of human beings, mankind, in our present state. Satan is not omnipotent. But he does have great power. And he is a formidable adversary. Only God has all power. Further, Satan is not omnipresent. Only God can be everywhere. So Satan can only be at one place at one time. So Satan can't be here and in Israel and in Iran and in North Korea and in America. He's only one place at a time as a being, okay? But he has demon hordes, which is an army of evil that serve at his direction. And the devil seeks to strategize and execute a master plan, a program that he has formulated to deceive. And to destroy individuals and to destroy the whole human race and to attack anything that God is doing in the earth. And it's, impo it's important to know that these, these facts about the devil. Because contrary to the notion that he's some kind of abstract force or a, a negative way of thought or some kind of impersonal expression of evil, the Bible gives a different picture. God's word reveals him as a distinct vile personality who rules the forces of darkness and operates systematically in a spiritual realm against everything good, against everything righteous, noble, pure, and healthy. He commands forces of lesser fallen spirits 
and he roams around the earth. First Peter 5.8 says that he is our adversary. And the Bible teaches us to be sober, to be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, the Bible says that the, uh, the, adversary, the adversary is stalking you. He's stalking you. You see, some people think that if I just don't do anything, if I just leave things alone, if I just, the devil will leave me alone. Let me tell you something. If you're being stalked by a lion or some other predator, would you just hum, <laughs> close your eyes, and pretend like he's not there? Hoping that if you couldn't see him or he couldn't see you. See, some of us just do this. The lion stalking us, it sees you. We just think if we close our eyes, he can't see me. Yeah, my little grandson does that, you know. You play peekaboo, and he'll come in and he'll go. Well, he really thinks that you can't see him. He thinks if he does that, he's, he's invisible. Well, can I tell you something? That's how some of you are with the devil. You think if you just do this, that he'll go away. That he'll just be, that or maybe that you think you're invisible. But he's not invisible, nor are you invisible. He's out to destroy you. <sighs> By the way, Satan's scope of power is only on planet Earth. You say, well, that's no consolation. That's where I live. <laughs> well, I know that's not a lot of comfort, but... There is an assault that is unavoidable if you're going to live on earth because he is the prince of the power of the air. But I want you to understand something. God didn't leave us powerless. He sent his son and his son crushed the head of the serpent. And the Bible says, he says, I have given, and I want you to read this, in Matthew 28 verse 18, he says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and in heaven and on earth that's Jesus speaking, by the way. All authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And guess who he gives it to? He gives it to his church. He says, I give you the keys of the kingdom. He says, I give you all authority to tread upon serpents. But we have to use that authority. When Jesus offers us the privilege of being born again into the kingdom of God. The fact is that the new birth in Christ places us outside of Satan's rule, even though we continue to live on this planet where the battle still rages for human souls. The devil still exercises rule because he has just rights. Having received license to rule through man's disobedience to God. And that gave, that meant that we consequently forfeited the earth. We forfeited this world. Now, one way we know that the devil has a legal claim the function on earth was evidenced when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He said to Jesus, he says, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. 
I want you to know something. Jesus didn't contest about whether he had the control over the kingdoms of this world or not. But he didn't bow down to him either. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. You can look that up in all three, uh, three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is the situation into which you and I have been born. The struggle continues. God has won the ultimate victory over Satan's reign, over his reign of fear, over his reign of death. But there are human beings, and they find, them on, they find themselves on both sides of this divide. One by one, you and I are helping people. You and I have switched sides. We've switched sides from the enemy into the kingdom of light. We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And you and I are translating. We're taking people out of darkness into light. This is the war that we're fighting. It's a warfare. Can you grasp that? What license does Satan retain to operate in my life and in your life? Well, here's what we know. That the entire life of a person outside of Jesus Christ is, is lived under the sway, under the influence, and under the power of the prince of the power of the air. The spirit, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 2, who now work in, or works in the sons of disobedience. The spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. In other words, any unregenerate person not only is still in his sins because of Adam, but he's also completely vulnerable to the dominion of the adversary because he lives in that domain. Now, this doesn't mean that every unbeliever is demonized or demon-possessed, nor does it mean that non-Christians, even consciously or unconsciously, serve Satan. What it does mean is that our whole thought process, our whole pattern of life, our whole pattern of conduct, and the, the ways of this world are motivated and animated and manipulated by the adversary. Probably more than we realize or want to realize. The Bible says this, that the whole world is under the influence of the evil one. 1 John 5, 19. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. The whole world. That includes you and I. We're in this world, and therefore, we're constantly battling against the influence of the evil one. You have to know you're in a spiritual warfare. So how do we recognize, and how do we respond to Satan's working? Well, there are several traits of his activity. The adversary lies. He lies to people. The adversary imposes fear on people, depresses people, oppresses people, sows doubt into people's mind. The adversary seeks to defeat and to discourage people. I want you to know something. Where good things have, become, have begun, many of you have experienced this. Pastors, you've experienced this. Some of you business people, you begin a good work and things begin to go well. Wherever there's a good thing, I want you to know something, the enemy's going to show up. Because he thwarts, he tries to stop anything that is good. When the enemy gets, but uh, let me tell you this, wherever the word is working, the enemy's going to resist. When the word gains a foothold, he's going to seek to snatch it away. The Bible tells the story of the parable of the sower. He snatches it away. As your enemy, he's going to seek to wipe out any hope 
that you have, any joyous expectation that you have. Tommy spoke so well the other night about the, or the other morning about the joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, the enemy is going to come against your joy. The enemy is going to come against your peace. And the enemy is going to come against your right thinking. Because if he can get your joy and your peace and your right thinking, he takes you out of the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is right thinking, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So that's what the enemy's after. He's out to destroy that so that he can control you and manipulate you and eventually destroy you. Satan is a liar. But we don't have to respond to the lies of the adversary. He's an oppressor, but you don't have to let him oppress you. We have the Holy Spirit, and we have angels to help us. Acts 10, 38, and I want you to keep this in mind. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. To deliver all who were oppressed of the devil. It says that Jesus went about doing good and delivered all that were oppressed of the devil. By the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. For you and I. That's what the story of Nehemiah is all about. Satan also infects people's minds with evil. Jesus like. Jesus likened the adversary to the evil person or, the, or the, somebody who came and sowed bad seed in a good field. The devil's sowing bad seeds in your mind, bad seeds in your life. You've got to root those things out. You've got we, we to we be aware of that. He further seeks to steal the good seed of the Word of God when it comes to us. He's going to attempt to influence you, to resist faith-inspiring promises and fruit-bearing seed. But you can counterattack by clinging to and declaring the Word of God. Don't let the thief succeed in stealing, killing, and destroying. James 4 declares our authority. James 4, 7 says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Say it out loud. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Say it one more time. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, Martin Luther, uh, the founder of the Lutheran Church and the great reformer, said this regarding Satan's attacks on us. He says, one little word fell him. One little word fell him. That's to say, cast him down, overthrew him. And you do that by standing on the promise of God. Anything that opposes you, anything that opposes you has a corresponding and a responding counterforce in the Word of God. If you'll find whatever opposes you, You'll find the counterforce. You'll find the victory in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is coming to you tonight, is coming to us to quicken His Word to your mind, quicken His Word to your spirit, strengthen your heart to secure your faith. Though the thief comes to rob and to kill and destroy, the Holy Spirit will rise. And I want you to know Christ's abundant grace. Is sufficient for us. And with it, he can restore you. He can cause growth. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard 
against it. Here's what I want to say. Although we live on the scene of this conflict, and although we face all these devilish devices, acknowledging the facts about Satan is in no way the same as surrender to him. We're not surrendering. You have your rightful place in God, in, his God, in God's promises and in God's victory. Our Nehemiah, the Holy Spirit, has come with letters of authority that overrule the opponent and they preempt his authority. Truth overthrows his lies. Deliverance will cast out his oppressive works. And the work of grace will weed out that which he seeks to sow. Let me close. When we read the story of Nehemiah, Sanballat's opposition to the efforts in Jerusalem's walls and fixing the gates are a perfect reflection and reflect the satanic, tyrannical nature of our adversary, the devil. And he's dead set against your wholeness. He's dead set against us restoring the nation. He's dead set against restoring relationships. Listen to Nehemiah 2.10. It says, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officially heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. See, Sanballat was the provincial governor of Samaria, and his control up until now is absolute. He's in control of all Samaria. Previously, nothing could happen without his approval. But now, something has overruled that. Nehemiah brought official letters from the king that had put the Jews in Jerusalem under Nehemiah's authority. He was appointed as the governor of Judah. His authority superseded that of Sanballat. He had been given the right, if he wished, to annul anything that Sanballat had decreed. Now, to think that this spiteful leader grieves that a man has come from the king to help these people, these oppressed and these needy people, it's so characteristic of Satan. It's so satanic. That's how you can tell a satanic person. They don't care about people. Sanballat's only interest was to keep the people in a state of defeat, despair, for his sole purpose was to secure his rule over them. He exacted taxes from them. He concocted demands of them. He made laws at a whim. He exploited their weaknesses at every turn. He was completely disinterested in the well-being of the people that he had been charged by the empire to serve. Sanballat's character is an accurate picture, as accurate as you'll ever see of Satan, and as accurate as you'll ever see in Scripture anywhere of who Satan is. And his actions are countered by Nehemiah's. And we have to understand, this gives us a very helpful approach to our efforts to succeed as the Holy Spirit comes to help us rebuild the walls of our souls. Rebuild and rehang the gates that have burned down.
to help us rebuild our churches and our nation. Just as Nehemiah knew how to deal with Sanballat by leading the Jews and resisting his efforts and hindering them, you and I need to let the Holy Spirit's message in the Word of God unmask Satan's works, his person, and his methods in our lives and in our circumstances. Yeah. Sanballat, he's going to continue to prove to be a hateful being. He is the hateful picture of Satan. But Nehemiah, we're going to see Nehemiah, and we see him as this tender picture of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, confronting evil, evil in us, advancing the recovery process in our lives, in our churches, in our relationships, in our businesses, and in our nation. He's helping you to withstand the adversary at every corner, at every way. The Holy Spirit further assists you by saying things like this. He says, I'm going to get you guys together. He says, I'm going to cause you to be one. See, when Nehemiah came, he says, come on, we're all going to work together. He says, I'm going to rebuild you. I'm going to restore you. And no matter what your adversary does or tries to throw at you, he is not going to succeed. How many of you know that we gain confidence to overcome when we begin to really perceive the real nature of our spiritual battle? Some of you don't know you're in a battle. The enemy and his company are real. But so is our conquering comforter and his heavenly shock force, the angels, the troops, the host of heaven. Close your eyes. I want you to think about heaven right now, about the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that everything that Satan can do and has done can be overruled by the present ministry of the Holy Spirit in you. Let the Holy Spirit make the letters of authority in God's Word alive to you. Let them become alive in you. Overrule the devil. Overrule him and stand in certainty knowing that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that you and I, that our church, that our businesses, and that our nation will not remain uncompleted, but that we'll become complete in Christ. That we'll not remain defeated, but we'll become victorious through the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. That we'll take this story of Nehemiah and we'll understand that there's a demonic and devilish opposition to everything that's good. But in the face of it, one by one, we're seizing souls and translating them from darkness into light. 
one by one, we're resisting the powers of the devil and we're overcoming evil with good. One by one, we're resisting the devil and he's fleeing from us. You are stronger than you think and you're not alone. There are angels on assignment. Angels that have been encamped around about you. Angels that are helping you, guiding you, directing you. The Holy Spirit in this evil time is going to lead some of you into your victories. And you're going to see the angels of God turn what seemed to be a defeat into a victory. You're going to see the angels of God stir things that you couldn't have imagined could have worked for your benefit. One of my favorite scriptures is for those who are doing what you're doing. The Bible makes a promise in the book of Exodus. And he says, for those that will tithe, sow seed, and give first fruits, and present themselves to the Lord three times in a year. Here's what he says. He'll do something for you. He says, I'll send your angel before you. Now wait, it doesn't stop there. He says, and when I do that, he says, your enemies will become my enemies. He says, I'll cause the boundary lines to fall for you in good places. <laughs> you know, when people come and sow their first fruits, I, I love to pray that prayer with them. I say, oh, come here. You're one of those. Father, we pray right now. I'm agreeing with them. And I'm agreeing with your word. Your angel will go before you. Your enemies will become God's enemies. And he'll cause the boundary lines to fall for you in good places. See, you know how bold I can be about that prayer? Because I believe in God. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of the resurrection. The power of the ascension. The power of the cross and the death and burial of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I believe that the Holy Spirit has come to help me. And with him, he brings a company of angels. I believe in angels. I believe they're helping me. I believe they're helping us in our churches. I believe they're helping you. Amen. So tonight, some of us just need to repent. We're the ones that have closed our eyes and put our fingers in our ears and said, I don't want to know about the devil. I just... Just leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. He'll never leave you alone. The day you gave your life to Jesus, you entered into the army of the Lord. You're part of a battle between evil and good. But the Holy Spirit's here to help you. We've heard about repentance. Tonight is Yom Kippur. In the Hebrew Bible, it's Yom Kippur. What is that? The Day of Atonement. It's the day when we thank God that he had an atonement for us. Jesus, on this day, died on a cross for you and I. On this day, he paid for our sins. On this day, he crushed the head of the serpent. On this day, he gave you and I access to come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. On this day, we have an atonement. We don't need the blood of bulls and goats. We have the blood of Jesus. He's paid for it for all of us.
Let's avail ourselves of the blood of Jesus tonight. Can we avail ourselves? Would you stand with me? Would you say, Holy Spirit, tonight, I don't want to shrink back from the battle. I don't want to shrink back. But I believe that there are angels on assignment. I believe that the Holy Spirit is helping me. I believe that God's equipping me, that God's showing me. Come on, tell him. Say, I'm not going to be a puffer. I'm not going to be one of these people that shrink back. I'm not going to be afraid of what the devil can do. I will not allow fear, oppression, and the weapons of a finite being to defy the armies of the living God. Oh, my prayer, Father, is open the eyes of your servants. Let them see that those that are with us are more than those that are with them. Father, open our eyes. Let our spirits come alive tonight. Let our spirits come alive tonight. Let us understand that we are not defeated, but we're victorious in Christ Jesus. Can you see that? Come on. Don't let the devil depress you. Don't let him defeat you. Don't let the circumstances define you. Don't be defined by what's going on in the nation. Be defined by what the Holy Spirit says. Be defined by the fact that you know even in the fire, He's there. He'll lead you through the fire. He'll lead you through the storm. He'll overcome your enemies. God is on your side. Hallelujah. You believe that? Let's worship Him. Let's thank Him right now. Come on, put your hands together. Come on, let's worship Him. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.